cold weather is here, so stay warm with the most thoughtful sale of the year. Now through Monday, you can get $50 off the Nest Learning thermostat. It learns your schedule and the temperature you like, so it keeps you comfortable when you're home and turns itself down when you're gone, which means it can help you save energy all year long. Get it at Best Buy now and save on the Nest Learning thermostat while you still can. Now less is more cozy. Limit two.
All right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. I cannot believe it, but it's the last Sunday of November 2016. It's the 27th. This year just flew by. And I can't believe we're down to the last, after tonight, we're down to the last three shows of the year. No, we'll be off the last uh, Saturday uh, of the month of December because it is Christmas Eve that day. No, actually, actually, it's Christmas Day last Sunday, I believe. So, no show, but what a great year it was for hard rock and heavy metal. I mean, each year has been getting better and better over the last decade, and I'm looking forward to a lot of good stuff in 2017. But we got a great show tonight for everybody. Michael Clayton from Taiketa will be calling in live in about a half hour. Torso from Levy's Eyes will be in on the second half of the show. What a great way to end the month of November, huh? Right there, Black Sabbath. I, boy, I tell you, every time I hear Ronnie James Dio, I kind of miss him more and more and more. You know, that record, The Human Eyes, came out, I want to say, 92. I believe it was 92, maybe 93.
title track of Savage Grace's debut EP from back in 1983. John Burke on vocals, Chris Logan, Kenny Powell on guitar, Brian East on bass, and Dan Finch on drums. That was such a great EP on Metal Blade Records. You know, a whole line of change by the time the first full one came out, Master of the Skies in uh, 85, and I wasn't such a big fan of the band after that. I think Chris Logan kind of took over the whole thing. I mean, there's actually, I, I have a couple of like Blade tapes. I don't know if it was when John Burke was in the band or just when they were getting ready to part ways with him or whatever happened, but he didn't perform live with them or he didn't show up for the shows as he listened to the, the live bootlegs. And Chris Lowe kind of took over the vocals back in the very early days. I mean, for a live show. And he sounded great doing it back then. You know, so uh, I don't know what happened later on when it came to time singing for the record, but on those bootlegs, it was pretty cool what he sang. All right, hopefully I'm coming through a little better right now. Uh, it seems like every time there's a holiday weekend, nobody works at both.
All right, Hell Hath No Fury Like Rock Goddess. The girls are back together. Uh, they've been doing quite a few shows here and there. I don't know if there's anything uh, coming out on the vinyl front or if they're getting ready to record any new music. We had Tracy Lamb on the show uh, quite a few years ago, and I want to say she was just moved to Spain at that time. We were talking about how she was moving, and it was a pretty funny interview. So if you go back into the archives, uh, you can hear that one anytime. Uh, hopefully we're a little less choppy right now. We're on a different microphone and headset. Hopefully this is working a little better. Uh, we'll find out in a little while. All right, we're going to wait. Michael Clinton should be calling in in, uh, in about two minutes, so we'll just hang on and wait a little bit for him before we uh, play any more music. We'll get to some brand-new Taiketo uh, right after that interview and play some classic Taiketo after that. All right, looks like the voice problem has been resolved. Uh, yeah, it has to be something on Block Talk Radio's end, so we'll work through it the best we can today, and uh, we'll make this happen, and we'll make it work. Uh, a little later on, you know, we'll wait for Mike to call, like I said, later on we got to talk about uh, Sebastian Bach. He's at it again, you know, ridiculing fans and the audience for taking pictures and all that other nonsense. And, you know, when you when you look at those videos of him, like, calling somebody out, it's it's like, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's just embarrassing. I mean, especially since he's not in the form that he should be in. He sounds horrible when he performs live. He just cannot sing anymore. He doesn't have it in him. And then they call out a fan because they want to take pictures. It's amazing that these people are still even showing up for shows. I think the show he did last night here in New York, uh, Rob uh, Musso, the original uh, Skid Row drummer, uh, sat in for a song or two, and he went on this rant about how there's only five guys at Skid Row, and a lot of people say they're in the band, but they're really not. You know, I don't know. I mean, I know he's dying to get back into that group. He will do anything to make it happen. I mean, he, he almost comes out and says it in most cases, but he won't say the actual words, but... It's just not going to happen. Those guys hate him so much. And let's be honest, Skid Row were never the biggest band in the world in the 80s to begin with. I mean, they were playing nice-sized places, but they weren't an arena act. They weren't headlining Madison Square Garden. It all fell apart before they could even get to that stage. They might have gotten there because they did have the music to back them up back in the early days. Uh, but it didn't happen for them. And they're not going to get together. There's not going to be a reunion. And all of a sudden, they're going to be playing all over the world and headlining like he thinks that's going to happen. It's just, you know, most of the people that went to them back in the day were 17, 18-year-old girls. Those are 40, 50-year-old women today who have families. Uh, it's just not going to happen. But we'll talk more about that a little later on because I do believe we have uh, Mike on the line right now. Uh, let's connect them. Let's get this interview going. Mike, it's Mike. How are you? Hey, brother. How are you? I'm doing great today. How are you? Good, we finally did it. <laughs> I know it happened, right? <laughs> it's okay. You know what? I'd rather have you on the live show because it's more fun when you get to talk to somebody live than recording it anyway. So I'm glad that it kind of didn't work out the first time. Yeah, no, that was that was probably, and, and I'll take full blame for that one to anybody listening. It was just, I, I, I'd love to make up a great big excuse. <laughs> I just completely forgot. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> and that's the happens. first time in 30 years that's happened. So, <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. I'm glad we have you on here now. And I have to tell you, uh, such a big Taiketo fan from going back to the beginning. I was thrilled when I heard about a reunion years ago, then another reunion, and then it finally seems like it all gelled and, and it kind of came back together full time again. It became something. We, we Danny and I, a, a few years back, we just kind of we, we were getting into this rut where we'd go play maybe two, three weeks a year, and we'd play the first album, and we'd end with Forever Young, and everybody would go crazy, and we'd go home, and it, it was it was always wonderful, but we always said like we should really just up the ante a bit and we've been doing this so long. So if, if we're going to do it, let's have a new product. Let's, let's really kind of put our best foot forward with it. So we did the, um, digging deep record is going on almost four years now, I think. And, um, that was the original lineup and that kind of got things rolling again that, wow, we could really, we still have an audience. People still want to hear us and people are still receptive to new music. So fast forward to 2013, 14, uh, just for, 
personal reasons, family reasons, day job reasons. It's just that the concept of jumping on a plane and going to Europe really didn't appeal to Brooke and Jimmy as much as it did to Danny and I, hence the new new blood that came in. And uh, we're just having a banner year. Once we uh, just decided to do it because it felt right to do so, the results have been off the charts. I can imagine, and reach is such a great record. You know, let's kind of like jump back to the beginning a little bit for people that you know haven't followed the band or, or know what's going on. You know, it was around '87 in the in the mid to late '80s that the band kind of came together, and at that point in time, I mean, hard rock and metal couldn't have been any bigger in the world than it was. You know, at that what was going on right now, hair metal was exploding. It was all over the place. Thrash metal took on a life. Everybody, all the metal kind of split up into different genres, but they were all getting bigger and bigger. And Piketo forms at, right here in New York City. Yeah, we actually, uh, it got so big at the time, that's when, uh, you know, if your hair was below your shoulders, they'd hand you a gold record at, in that era. <laughs> and basically we, uh, and, it was, and in retrospect, I still stand behind their decision knowing what they knew at the time, but nobody really saw this tsunami of alternative music knocking everybody out. And at the time when we were finishing our debut record, um, Geffen sat on it for six months because there was too many 80s bands out there in the marketplace so we and I, I tell everybody I equate that to like extending your vacation a week so you wait for the, the tidal wave to hit the beach that you're staying at like so we electively um, postponed the record just as the alternative wave was taking over so who knows what would have happened to this band if we would have released in, in, uh, in, in uh, I think it was late 1990 we were ready to go and yeah. Geffen called our managers and said, look, there's just too much traffic out there. Let's wait a couple months, and then we've got a hit record on our hands. And that was, we came out, uh, that door couldn't have been closing any tighter. It was, uh, we were the number one request video on MTV with Forever Young. And the uh, video that knocked us out of the box, no pun intended, was Man in the Box by Alice in Chains. And it was game over right after that. Within four months, it was all done. It's you know I I remember those days it was like that and it was crazy but like you know like I said when the band started in, in the eighties we never saw this coming nobody could see that this was going to happen three four five years and when you kind of look back now you realize six six months like you said you know with the delay that's like an eternity in the music business especially like you know the way we've seen things going over the last couple of decades that's like a lifetime oh, unbelievable yeah and and they got caught just as blindsided as we did I mean between the videos. The album production, the, we had the album artwork done for Strength in Numbers. We had the photo shoot done, you name it. record was recorded and mixed by uh, Kevin Elson, who did all the big Journey records and the Mr. Big yeah. records. They, they had to have half a million, probably, or close to it, into that record. And then just called us one day. We had a release date. Uh, Brooke and I were up in the city doing a full day of press. All the big New York magazines were still in the city. And um, I went back. I remember we were living in Jersey. The fact that we were in New York for the day, I went back to my mom's house in Staten Island for dinner, and my manager called me at my mother's house and said, not only are they not releasing the record, but you're dropped from the label. And I was in shock, sitting in the living I'll never forget it. I was sitting in this big recliner chair at my mom's house in Staten Island, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing, because six months ago, they were telling us that we'd have a double or triple platinum record on our hands with Don't Come Easy, and next thing you know, we're gone. And that's literally how quickly it happened. So I think it... Over the years, you know, Danny and I, I'm 54 and 55 respectively, um, I think it kind of humbled us and it made us, you know, always conscious of the fact that this is always fleeting, as anything in life is. So just appreciate that moment and make the most of it, because the moment may not be there tomorrow. And we were, 
you know, we bought that dream hook, line, and sinker that we were going to be famous, and there's six singles on this record, and this is this is a multi-platinum artist, and that's it. And it didn't go that way. Yeah. I mean, when you look, I mean, you did have everything going on. You had the looks, you had the music, you had the stage show. Everything was there. It was just a matter of timing, you know, and unfortunately, that's what happened. I mean, if if a band wasn't already established by the time that tidal wave hit, there was no hope for them, no matter how great they were. It just, it just washed everything away, and today, it boggles my mind how a whole nation of people, I mean, actually caught on throughout the whole world, like this change in, in music and style, but how we just abandoned, like how Taiketo was the talk of the town on Monday, just say, I'm using you guys as an example, and Friday, we just abandoned everybody because something new came along. I mean, it just shows you how trendy we are and how, like, you know, well, that's an American thing. As much as, yeah, as much as I love to death our American fans, they were here for us in the beginning. Um, I noticed that even with like contemporaries of mine, one minute they got their hair down to their waist and they're listening to Nuno Bentoncourt, and then three weeks later they got a flannel shirt on, a Doc Martens and Allison Chains, and a detuning <laughs> their guitar, and no more solos, and they're Stone Temple Pilots clones, and it wasn't very like we always stayed true to what we were, and. The American public, I think we just have such a wealth of media at our hands, even back then, um, that they kind of went to the next flavor of the week. And really, uh, Danny's roots from being in Wasted before Taiketo and the touring that we did in England at the time, British fans were a little bit different that it's okay in England to like Slayer, like uh, One Direction, and like Taiketo. It's cool. It doesn't matter. As long as you like something, nobody judges you for the other things you like. And our fans in England really carried us through that dark time. That's why we, we still tour predominantly overseas, and we're doing anywhere from you know 800 to 1,500 seaters on our own, and we're headlining some of the biggest festivals on the planet all around the globe the last two or three years. So this, this resurgence came in, and more and more we're hearing of, of people, a, a buddy of mine who I just gave a copy of Reach to, who knows me as Michael, the booking agent from New Jersey. He didn't even know about Taiketo. He said, not only does this record blow me away, I went back and rediscovered your whole catalog. I never knew you guys existed. So I think at this juncture, for the first time probably ever, we've got more newer fans than older ones, which is just unbelievable at this stage of our career. People are first discovering us on the Monsters of Rock Cruise or M3 or Steelhouse Festival or Download or we're down in South America a few years ago, and people are like really getting turned on by the band, which – Reminds us of what we've always felt is, is, you know, the music will be around forever. I think we wrote quality music, and at the end of the day, that's all that really matters as a musician. Uh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you anymore, Mike. Uh, but like, you know, I say, you know, at that point in time, did you guys think about changing sound and style to go, you know, to go with what was happening? Because Strength of Numbers comes out. I mean, it, w- it was recorded a lot earlier than it came out. Uh, but did you guys think about changing or just say, hey, you know what? This is who we are. We're going to ride the course and see what happens. Or did you talk I about maybe changing Rook, up the style? I, I, it wasn't changing of styles to follow a trend. I personally, uh, this, uh, Stone Temple I love. There's a handful of alternative bands I like. For me personally, it's not my style. I just don't care for it personally. Brooke really took to it. Brooke liked the heavy t- guitar tones. He liked the real chunky, weird tunings. He was playing that Stone Temple Pilots album and that Alice in Chains album into the ground. So I think if any of us sort of wanted to go there, it was Brooke at the time, but... It's not who Danny is as a singer, and it's not who I am as a drummer. So collectively as a band, we didn't go there. I think when Danny left and we got the Steve Ogiri uh, uh, album, Chime, when Steve came in as our lead singer, uh, we didn't really go grungy or alternative, but we went a lot bluesier than we did with the Don't Come Easy sound. So we've, we've had our highs and all, even with Reach. Like Danny had a, 
he was he was kind of struggling with where to fit his voice into this new music we were writing. And I reminded him, as I've always felt with this band, is we could play anything, and if Danny Vaughn is singing it and he writes the lyrics for it, he makes it a Taiketo song. So he's kind of the glue that pulls in all of our different styles together and really makes it Taiketo. I think. I think his voice is so signature. Um, it didn't feel like Taiketo with Steve by Jerry. It was a good record, but it wasn't us. It wasn't what Taiketo is. Yeah. Well, after that record, that was kind of the end of the band, right? You did kind of pack it in after that. That was... That was, I had, I mean, I, I booked the band, I managed the band, the band lived at my house, I bankrolled the band back then, and it just, I was tired because we've, we've been plugging away at that, and really, if you look at, at the time, so say it was 1995, we've been going for six years straight, nonstop, of which maybe two of those years were fruitful. So it, it was a struggle for four out of the six years, and it just got to a point where it was like, Let's just call it. It's not worth doing. That's why I started my booking agency and really planted myself here in Jersey. And then we decided just to get back together just to see each other. There was no money issue. There was no let's make a record and sell a million. None of that stuff. It was like, look, we have Brooks in uh, – uh, where did he move to? I think he was in Wisconsin at the time where he currently is now. Danny moved to Atlanta. No, Brooke actually was in Atlanta as well. They were both down south. And we just put the tour together. Just every, every time we ever got together after that was socially. It was wonderful. Um, and once really Taiketo became a business again, you know, Brooke just didn't have it in him to go on the road. And he just got married um, to a wonderful woman, had two children from prior marriage. So he was an overnight dad. And he didn't want to be away from her. And Jimmy's day job restraints just couldn't make it work for him. So once the, uh, the, the social club aspect was over, I got down to work. It just wasn't logistically feasible for us to get together. But, I mean, when you do get together, I mean, back then, it was it just like for 2004, it was just like we're going to do this one thing and get it over with and not revisit the band again? Or was it talk at that time about trying to continue it? No, we wanted to continue it. And it's I, I always – I told somebody last month, I equate it to getting together with an ex that you were with many years ago at a different point in your life. And it's not that, you know, you have these wonderful memories and this kinship and this bond from the, from the original relationship. But once we got back together in 2014, you know, as good as we all got along, we still, we, I talked to everybody for Thanksgiving. We were all still very friendly, the whole lineup, uh, new and old. And um, once we got back together in 2014, we made a good record. I think we got along well at the time. It just didn't feel that that, that bond that we had on the Don't Come Easy and Strength in Numbers album it just wasn't there anymore in the same level that we weren't all unified with our vision for the band. We all, you know, Brooke, the thought of Brooke getting on a plane and going to play in for two months in Europe away from his family, it didn't appeal to him anymore. You know, Danny and I couldn't wait to go on tour again. So it, it kind of, we went into it with the best of intentions, but I think that digging deep era pretty much solidified that the old lineup was kind of finished for the time being. It, it didn't yeah. feel the same. Yeah, and a point as we get older, sometimes it's easy for some people to go out and do things they couldn't do when they were younger, like hit the road for a few weeks. And for other people, it becomes more of a challenge and more difficult because there are different phases in their life. So I completely get that. But with the new guys in the band, it just brings it seems like a whole new life to you guys. Not that you didn't need it, but it just seems like the whole band's invigorated all over again. I, I keep trying to catch myself that I don't sound corny because it sounds so immensely corny, and it's really not. It's just it was everything. There's this mysterious guiding hand pushing us along 
that's just everything you could possibly think of to fall into place at the right place at the right time has happened for like three years straight with us. And it was, you know, the three guys, the three gentlemen that ended up joining Danny and I were all huge Taiketo fans. So they came in with this level of respect for this project. Um, Chris Green and I plugged in and hit it. And I tell the story all the time. The, the first show was like, the first rehearsal was about three days before our first show with him. I'd never met him before. I went purely on Danny's word that he was going to be great. And the rehearsal studio in England was so tiny, we had to stand in a circle facing each other. We couldn't stand like, like in layers. The room was too small. Yeah. And Danny was just laughing. He said, if you would have saw you, you and Chris's faces, I think the first song was burning down inside. And we just laid into it. And we just clicked like we had been playing together. But I felt such an instant bond to him personally, musically, like it just felt great. And everything we did thereafter, it just was this overnight family. The energy was fantastic. Um, everybody's fully committed to it. You know, we're going to go do this low-do gig and take a chance in this market. Everybody's on board. Um, one of us gets sick. We're all burning the phone up, checking up on him. It just became this... It was just so stereotypical of, of the cliches of, you know, the one door closed, and we were worried if we were even going to have a band anymore. And within a year, we've got one of the most harmonious units and one of the most successful records of our career. When we're five albums into our career. So it just, um, the, the right people at the right time changed the course of everything. That's so true. And as you were saying, like, you know, a lot of people, like, you know, even though you guys were around, you're getting a lot of new younger fans. A really cool thing is that, you know, for the first time, Don't Come Easy is being re-released. And a lot of people that weren't able to get there, I mean, you know, with the internet today, people get shit for free, they download it. But to get a real copy of it, it's finally going to happen again for a lot of people. I'm very happy it ended up in a good home. I called Derek because I was trying to get the rights to that, but I wasn't a proper distributor record company back then. Because that's our, that's our firstborn kid. That's it. Yeah. And I actually called Derek when he, when he got it. And I told him, I said, I feel like, you know, you're the adoptive parent now. So please treat this kid well. Do the right. And he's been <laughs> great with the marketing. He's actually bringing us units to sell on our January tour overseas. We're giving him his blessing. We're advertising it on our, our, on our Facebook. Like we, we want people to rediscover that record because it, it really, with no ego intended, it is when I have to go back to list. Because now we're, we're playing, last year we played Don't Come Easy in its entirety. As a, as a 25th anniversary tribute to the album. And when I play those 10 songs, I'm like, Man, these songs are fantastic. There's just, it's a special record, and I can see why people feel it's a special record. And as a listener, I feel that as much as the guy that played it and wrote it. So um, Don't Come Easy's back out, and people are seeing it's, it's perfect right now because Don't Come Easy epitomizes our youth and our, that, the Brooke and Jimmy era and that wonderful record. And then you go to Reach, and it's just as good with a new attitude and new faces and Danny and I are, you know, 25 years older than we were. And in my opinion, he's singing better than he ever had. I don't know what vitamins he takes or what he does <laughs> in his spare time, but he, cause I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like he's so powerful and spot on as a performer. And I, I told him like he and I are together for life. We're together 30, almost 31 years now. And I thoroughly enjoy playing drums behind him. It's just, it's a pleasure. That that when you say like that, thirty one years, you realize how long it's been. Because you guys also did Vaughn together. I mean, oh, another guy I had to mention to you, an old friend uh, wanted me to say hello to you uh, from your dreamer days, Lenny Rizzo, good friend of ours here at the show. Lenny, I, I saw that you were going to be on I here. I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> he was Lenny about was the one days. of my. Fa he, I had so much fun with him. I joined Dreamer. I was 16 years old. 
I wasn't even allowed to leave the dressing room because I had no ID. Vito, my mother used to drive me to Vito's house, Vito Brada's house, because yep. I had no license. So my mom would drive me to his house. I'd go to the gig with him, and then he'd have to drive me home. I was a baby. I was like a junior in high school. And Lenny made me laugh my ass. He was a great performer, great singer, and he was one of the funniest musicians I was ever in a band with. So definitely tell him I said hi. I will. I'm sure he's listening. Uh, but, you know, you, you're talking about Dream. That was another band that I thought should have been one of the hugest bands in the world. The music, everything was there for I mean, you know, Vito went on the white line, as everybody knows, if they don't know the crazy. And, you know, you went on the Taiketo. Uh, Lenny went on to... I, I went, on, I went on to White Lion with him. I was in White Lion for two years with Vito. I didn't even know you were in White Lion. Yeah, I put, no, what ended up happening, it was Vito and Bruce, the singer, who's a, one of the best bass, singing bass players out there. We were playing Lamore. I think it might have been after Lenny left, but we played Lamore. I don't even know who the singer was back then at that show, but um, the trance band was called Mabel. They were in from Denmark. They yeah. opened up for us. And George Parente, the guy that owned Lamore at the Lamar. time, he ended up becoming my manager and White Lines manager. He approached me, Vito, Bruce, and Mike Tramp, and they wanted to put us in a Van Halen tribute band because how Tramp looked and how, um, how Vito played and the fact that Bruce had that high harmony voice. They wanted to make us a, a Van Halen tribute. We opted to become an original band. So Bruce and Vito and I were the first lineup of White Lion with Mike. Wow, I didn't even know that. You see, you learn something yeah. new every day here because I first got yeah. into White Lion a little later on, you know, because I was a kid myself, you know, have to get snuck in the back door and was giving the guy $10 to sneak me in the back door. <laughs> that was in the days when you had to, you know, be over 18 to get in there. Yeah, no, I was playing. Uh, Nikki, Nikki Capozzi actually took my place before uh, Greg D'Angelo did. I was, I was the first one in, but I just I didn't feel it was a home for me. Like, I, I, you saw the connection Mike and Vito had. You knew they were going to be the predominant songwriters. You knew it was their thing, which more power to. I've never begrudged them. I love Vito. They, they, they went on to do wonderful things. But I just didn't feel like it was for me. And when I quit, Vito thought I was insane because a lot of business things were in motion already. Right after Nikki Capozzi left, before they got Greg, he called me up to rejoin. And I'm like, dude, I'm kind of happy with this Danny Vaughn thing, and I just feel like it's my thing. And, and again, some people think I'm, I walked out of a band that sold millions of records, but it just it was wonderful for them, but it wasn't right for me. And I never regret that decision. Yeah. You know, even with the success White Line had, that came to an end, too, like everything else did, you know, in the 90s. It, it took everybody. <laughs> it took a lot of people down with them. But when we actually felt, toured with them, our first tour with them is when they were starting to have cracks in the wall with, with internally with the band. So as they were kind of, it was so ironic that I'm on tour now with my old band, with my new band, who's on the rise, and they were like kind of not talking to each other a lot, and there was a lot of tension within the camp, and we're like on cloud nine releasing our new record. So that those White Lion shows, I think, because we had the same management company, they put us on, I think, four or five shows in the UK, like big theater shows. Yeah. And to this day, those people that were at those first set of shows, cause nobody knew who we were. We just went up there and just crushed it. And we retained those fans for 25 years later. They're still coming out. And people still talk about those shows. That, that's amazing. I mean, I know you guys had to postpone the tour. You guys get ready for some personal reasons, but it is taking place again in January over in Europe, right? Yeah, we actually, um, my wife's had some medical issues over the years, and it was getting to the point where she got diagnosed again, so she has been doing, has been, she still currently is, um, full round of, of chemo up at Sloan and radiation up at Sloan Kettering, 
and it was probably the hardest phone call I've ever had to make as a musician was I just, we were supposed to be leaving this past November 9th. We were, we were supposed to be playing tonight in the UK. So I called Danny up and I'm like, dude, I can't leave my family. My kid needs me. My wife needs me. I'm not going to be in the right place. It broke my heart. I mean, we, this, this was the reach tour and it was like a month and a half long, 11 countries. This was the big one we've been planning for a year. And the band was such sweethearts about it. And then our bass player, Chris's mom, got ill. So me and Danny and our guitar player, Chris, were talking. And it was like, look, it's not – Chris is like, dude, it's not Taiketo without you. Certainly not Taiketo without you and Chris. And this isn't why we do things. We're not going to go – so we made the conscious decision to shut it down and just lose the money. So my wife wraps her treatments up in December. Um, so we got to talking about a reschedule. Then it was like, there's no way in hell 14 venues are going to have – the the same exact dates available, the same exact time we need them in January. I said, maybe we'll do three dates and call it. Yeah. And once again, this mysterious assistant of ours, whoever it is, <laughs> um, every date lined up. The owners moved stuff for us. They bent over backwards to make it happen. I think we're doing one show less than the November tour in January. The fans responded because I just put out – I'm like, you know, our fans are our friends, and I, I, I know people take off of work. They have advanced tickets. They reserved hotels. So I just aired my situation publicly to our entire fan base, and there was, nobody was like, what do you mean? And I have these tickets. Everybody was so supportive. You take care of your family. We're here when you're ready. Don't worry about it. And it was such a wonderful thing to see. And even with the owners, like all the owners were like, we'll do whatever we have to do to reschedule these dates. And so we're leaving. I think our first show is – January 12th in Switzerland, and then we're off to Germany for a few, then Belgium and Holland, and then UK. That's going to take us uh, right to the end of January, early February. And wow, that's the ticket great. sales are up. Yeah, it's, it was just, it's just things a real Cinderella story. It's just, I, I, sometimes Danny and I sit there looking at each other like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm just going to ride it. I'm just riding this wave. <laughs> no clue what's Hell happening, yeah. but we're loving it. I don't blame you one bit. I mean, are you planning on doing something here in the U.S.? Is it possible to string a small tour together, maybe some uh, one-off shows, not, at least in our area? One-off shows, yes. I'm looking. Right now we secured uh, – we are headlining the Rock and Skull Festival in Chicago the last Sunday in October. And then we're going right from there. We may do uh, one or two shows in the Midwest prior. Then we start – we're headlining Hard Rock uh, Hell, possibly. There's a bid in for that show. So there's a good chance we're going to be heading to the U.K. in November. So there's a week gap in the middle, that first weekend in November. I'd love to do like a B.B. King show or just I, I want to play in New York again because we haven't played New York in so long. I, know. I think the timing is right. So one way or another, I'm not sure if it's going to be a full-blown tour, but there'll be at least one or two Northeast Coast states for the old oh, schoolers to come out. Absolutely. Do you think it's easier today as a musician or I mean, on the business end of it to kind of pick and choose where you play? Because you have the technology now. You have the internet. You have stats. Back in the day, you kind of just went by fan mail or you know where you can get booked. But is it easier today to say, you know what, we're bigger here, so we're going to concentrate there? Or do you say, you know what, we have a little weak audience over here, so let's kind of push this region or this area of the country? It, it, helps, your, it helps you statistically just knowing where your base is. I could tell you. I can get a uh, – we have 15,000 friends on Facebook. I could tell you what city every one of them lives in. So that aspect helps as far as going where you're most wanted, absolutely. The one thing we found out, and, and it's almost having this adverse effect, is 
people got so reliant on, on social media and the internet that they forgot, you know, we still go on stage and sweat our asses off and we play a great show and we go to markets people don't normally go to. And we really do it a fan at a time, the old school way. So we're, we're trying to integrate both. I mean, we made our entire record remotely. We, I never played this album once in the same room with the guys, ever. I recorded it. I did my drum tracks in Jersey and emailed them out. And then I just cut the, I cut the, I actually cut my drum tracks to the demos in, in Wales. And it was just the that's most bizarre harder. way. To, it, that's how the, we, we, we didn't have the, uh, I mean, my Danny's in Spain. My keyboard plays in London. My bass plays in London. My guitar plays in Atlanta and I'm in New Jersey. So there was no other way to do it except remotely. So we've used technology to our benefit many, many times in the last two years, but Nothing beats getting on that stage and hitting it. So the problem with yeah. America is it's just too big of a country. We can't afford to really come here for random one-offs, just where everybody's located. So I'm, I, I, we did M3 two, 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 three years ago. It was wonderful. Um, this Rock and Skull is going to be a big deal. We're headlining that night. That's a big weekend. And I'm thinking, I told Danny yesterday when we talked that I said I'd like to maybe – See what Jersey boys are around town that weekend in November. Maybe us and Trickster or us and Ted Poley or us and Danger Danger. Whoever's around, I'd like to maybe do a multi-band show for that New York coalition that was that was kind of built this market back in the day. That would be great to see that happen, especially if you get all you guys together. That would be fantastic. There's not enough shows like that anymore. You know, that's the problem. Oh, no, there's, there's, well, there's, there's an issue. There's not many bands left, and there's no places to play left. There's really not a lot of good – you think about, like, you know, me and you talk about the Lamore era and Lamore East and, and the Birchill and the Playpen and, and the Ritz in the city. There was uh, yeah. Studio One in Newark, the Cricket Club in Irvington. You could have played 20 shows in a in a 15-mile radius. It was wonderful. So now it's just – you know, it's, it's hard for the bands to stay together. It's, you know, nobody's really doing this full, full-time that you got to factor in wives and kids and day jobs and all that other stuff. So uh, that's why I'm planning November of 2017 now so I, <laughs> so I can pull it off because it's going to take that long yeah. to do it. it, it, yeah, it, it is my getting hard. I'm like, November 17, he's like, dude, it's November 16. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, I know what you're saying. But my, it is getting harder to get. Like you said, we told my social media before. It's a great tool to use because you could, you know, get to people instantly and get your music out there, dates with shows out there. But there's so much going on that people are just, like, blown by you right now and not really paying attention to a lot of stuff. Or they'll click, yeah, I'm coming to your show. They never show up anyway just to click a button. So no, you do have to have that hands-on people? thing. Exactly. The attention span of people is shorter than it's ever been, and they have so many, they're getting, you know, you get the world at your fingertips, it's hard to focus on things. That's why we feel like so, you know, we did it twice now, because the, 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 when we started advertising the November tour back in September, it was selling great. Then we shut the whole thing down and rebooted it for January, and it's selling even better. So we know, you know, my, my guitar player did a post the other day just thanking all the fans, and he said, we're the luckiest band in the world to have this level of support that they really, truly, and again, it's, it just sounds so immensely corny, but it's, it's really heartfelt. They're, they're there for us, and we, in turn, are there for them. And there's this thing going that's just building momentum. Like when we played the Monsters of Rock Cruise, our numbers tripled from show one to show two because the buzz on the boat was you got to see these guys. Holy, oh, my God, what a show. You know, the cool guys to hang with. And people just started peeking their head in 
which is where we're, we're converting people over to our, you know, over to uh, becoming Taiketo fans is wonderful. Absolutely. I mean, I'm hope I'm, I'm just hoping you get something going here in the New York, New Jersey area because it's been a really long time since I've seen you guys live. I mean, I'm out here in Staten Island, so any any one of the two is good enough for me. Just just make it happen in 2017. You are in Staten Island, though. I knew that accent was Staten Island. I knew but, it. You know, ori- originally Brooklyn, but I, I crossed the Guinea Gangplank many decades ago when I got married to bring the family out here. I'm still looking That's for Vito exactly. Broder. I know he's somewhere, but I never <laughs> run into him as shop writer or anything. He's in uh, he's in Old Town. I know exactly where he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but just so I, 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 I'm, I'm three quarters in. I'm three quarters in. I did Brooklyn to Staten Island. Now I'm in Jersey. So 15 years from now, I'm on my way down to Florida, and my path is complete. I did it. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I'm skipping Jersey, going right to Florida. i got three years to retire. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm right on schedule. I did everything exactly <laughs> as a good Italian from Brooklyn is supposed to do. That's right. The steady progression down south. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. Do you think things are better today musically for a band in the position that Taiketo is in than it was in the 80s? I mean, the 80s were the 80s. We can never have that back again. But as far as you know, writing music, controlling the destiny of the band and where you go and what you do, is it better today for bands in your position? It's it, In an odd way, it's better because there's not – you know, with Geffen, it was like this $400,000 record and this $200,000 video – and this three hundred thousand dollar publishing advance, and the, the 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 stakes were so high, you really couldn't enjoy it because everything was coming at you like at four hundred miles an hour. Now, you know, we do what we want to do when we do it when we want to. Purely, that's it. Like, I, and I book the tours accordingly. We don't kill ourselves with travel. So, it's 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 better. I'm not sure on an industry level. I can't speak for other bands. For me personally, at my age and where I'm at with my life. Every single decision that this band makes is because it feels right to make it. We're not a slave to somebody telling us what to do. There's nobody with money invested looking over our shoulder. We we call the shots. We book the tours. We book the travel. Everybody is on, on deck with down to picking the songs for the live set. We are fully at the helm of this thing. And even with Reach, which I, I got to tip my hat to Frontiers, they let us pick the songs for the record. We did the artwork for the record. We did the running order for the record. Like, that's our album in every sense. And they just let us do what we did, and the results are wonderful. So yeah. I think it's better for me personally. And I guess I guess on an industry level, it's got to be better just because see the amount of people you can reach with your music now. Like, if you think of uh, going to see Kiss in the 70s, you either bought the record, heard the song occasionally on the radio, or you waited once a year for them to come through town to play. Now you can go on YouTube and watch every night of their tour. So sure. it's it, your your audience is global, and it's it's readily accessible. So I think that's got to be better for any artist, just on the sheer numbers you can hit. Well, you know, just like you said with Frontier, letting you pick the song, set them up. That that was something that would never have happened with Jefferson or any other major label back in the '80s. I mean, you hear from these bands, you know, we want to get signed to a major, and as soon as you do, like, listen, we love you guys, but we want to change everything about you. Is that something that <laughs> you guys? It's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing. Yeah. We actually named. We actually lay your body down. Was originally named Bourbon Street, and we named it after the strip club on Route Nine in Old Bridge by the band House at the time. So it was it was a tip of the hat to the girls that dance at that club. And our A&R guy, John Kladner, made us change the name of the song to Lay Your Body Down. It had nothing to do with the strip club. He just, he goes, I said, why do we have to change this name? He goes, I hate New Orleans. I'm like, this song's not about New Orleans. <laughs> it's not a strip club in New Jersey. But he was cutting the check, and that was it. And if you would hear, I felt so bad for Brooke. He would walk in that studio, 
and Brooke would work on that solo to Forever Young for three, four, five hours, and Kalabner would hear it once and go, nope, see you tomorrow, and pack up and leave. And Brooke would, for like four days he did it. And then Kalabner finally came in, he goes, that's it, you got it. And Brooke was like, Michael, I swear to you, that's almost exactly the first solo I played for him four days ago. That, he, you know, when they're spending that kind of money, they got to put their thumbprint on it. So, yeah. or they, they made us, uh, he had this clothing designer for the Forever Young video. Danny got a custom shirt done, was $600. And he goes into the shoot with it, and the record company guy was like, I don't like that. Throw it out. You're not wearing it. And it was just plus, I don't like, a $600 shirt. So, it was it was the, the major label thing. It was also the late 80s where money was flowing everywhere like water. And the, the money that they spent was ludicrous, how much money they spent on this band. Well over a half a million. That's probably why they're in the trouble they're in today. Well, there's other reasons besides that. But no, I mean, when it hit, a, when it hit the, the wall, it hit big, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Incredible. So, hey, hey, Mike, I'm going to have to cut you loose in a few minutes because i got another guest waiting to come on, man. I want to get on some. i got big ZD waiting downstairs, so I'm ready to go. All right, man. So listen, I, I appreciate you being on here today. The best of luck over in Europe in January. The new record, Out on Frontier. And I'm definitely going to be there front and center when you guys hit the New York, New Jersey area, man. Yeah, just check out Taiketo Facebook, the official, and um, we'll be putting every date up. But uh, thank you for your time, and thanks for supporting us. Thank you, Mike. The best of luck with everything, and good luck with everything going on with your family, too. Okay, brother. Thank you. You take care. Take care. Take care, man. All right. Michael Klein of Taiketo. Great guy. Let's get on some uh, Taiketo. You know what? We'll do something old. We'll do something new. And we'll do something more in between. But right after that, we got Torso from Levy's Eyes coming on. How about we do right now Walk on Fire? Yeah. 
All right, brand new Taiketo, Kick Like a Mule off the Reach record out on Frontier. Pick yourself up a copy of it. All right, we, we are, look at this. It's already at 7.15. We're going to get the uh, torso from Levi's Eyes on in a few minutes. And uh, yeah, we'll see. Maybe we'll go a little later tonight, past 8 o'clock. We'll have to see. I uh, hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving weekend out there Thursday. You know, we, we gobbled down our turkey, and uh, as soon as the family left, the Christmas tree went up, the lights went outside, <laughs> the whole house was done up for Christmas before midnight that night. So it's time to start the Christmas season. And actually, two hours after all the lights went up, the first set burnt out in the window, the first set burnt out outside on my bushes. So now it's replacement time. All right, let's get on one more tune. Uh, I'm going to try switch back to the old microphone because it's a little easier to use. Uh, how about we do some Dr. Mastermind? Let's go to the villa. <laughs>
Okay, Allied forces all over now. Let's speak the torso from Levy's eyes. There's a lot going on with the band this year. Uh, a lot of uh, marital drama spilled over into the band. So let's check in with them and see what's happening. They're out on tour here in the U.S. right now. Hang on. Nice to meet you, Mike. This is Toto from Lee's Thank you. How are you? <laughs> well, for a rock and roll interview, it's quite early. I'm still in the tour bus. Just got up, but everything's fine. Ah, <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Hang on. So, so how's everything going on the tour? Um, everything is going very well so far. We had now 11 shows. We're on the way to Westlands, Detroit. We've been mainly at the East Coast, had some fantastic Canadian shows, some great shows here, and uh, we're just about to get into the groove. Uh, it's quite, um, many bands, they have a lot of um, free days and day off. We have, I think, now 17 days scheduled <laughs> wow. without day, day off, so that's quite a run, but it's, it's really nice, and um, also uh, in the bus, yeah, so we, we enjoy being here. Does it get harder as you get older to go out and do it for as long as you do now? If it gets harder or if we try harder? <laughs> well, I know you try harder from seeing you over the years. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, I wouldn't say it's getting harder. Maybe for me personally, I can say at a certain point, I don't have to be on every party in the morning anymore. I go to bed or I try to eat healthy but the rest is uh, I enjoy it I enjoy traveling I enjoy playing and um, I'm very happy to be here so it's it's not getting harder it's more like even more like you can treasure things because we've we've been um, through so many different uh, periods in, in Lee's eyes and played so many uh, shows in also countries and it's still a privilege to be traveling around the world I know That's friends right of mine that are like in my age, they have maybe a steady job and they are bored, maybe a bit more secure in a financial way, but uh, this is still like an, an adventure and there's so much people you meet and um, inspiration you get from the traveling, so I still see it as a privilege to be a, a touring musician. Oh, that's great to know. I mean, a lot yeah. of trauma, a lot of drama in the band in the beginning of the year, that seems to be behind you now. <laughs> This is the first yeah. time a lot of people are getting to see here, you know, Alina live. Uh, yeah. How's it going with yeah. her on stage, and how are people reacting to her now, taking over, you know, the front of the band? Yeah, um, the people react fantastically. I have to say, Alina did a great job in um, the uh, time that you were talking about. It was mainly February, April, May, and um, when it became clear that we can continue with this, they all didn't want to continue with us. We made a, a band meeting in April and uh, decided to split with each other. And uh, then unfortunately, and I have to say, I already said it in the Russian interview, I think mainly to this um, new boyfriend that tried to interfere into the band matter. Um, it was just not possible to plan anything together or do any music or any tools together. It would have been impossible to play this tour in the USA, for example. Here we would have to cancel it, or we would have to take maybe a two 
and um, then we uh, agreed in April that we do not continue together. And then the, what happened uh, on, on this account, um, the statement that we set up together was attacked, and then a kind of shitstorm was in the internet. But I also have to say that shitstorm was never uh, live. So I, I heard no single doing or anything. Um, and the Lima did fantastic. We had a first show in April in Indonesia, in front of 20,000 people. They played uh, German festivals. And uh, we had now maybe the biggest show we ever did at Medicine Voices in October with the Viking ship and uh, 20 Vikings on stage and the 40 people per production. And she did really everything very well. And yeah. I think she kept also something which is like to the symphonic power music, bombastic sound. She adds um, the, the strong, powerful uh, attitude. Like, I think that, that comes across very well. Like, it's a very powerful yeah. way to perform songs. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I think it's hard anytime a band has to replace a singer and when somebody has to step in to take over that role. It works with some bands that didn't work with others. It seems to be working for you guys because she holds true to the original stylings of the songs but yet adds her own touch to it. And on the newest song recorded with her, you can see that the band is in a good place right now and that future records are really yeah. going to sound great. Um, yeah, we uh, just got out Fires in the North in uh, October, and that sold really, really well. They they had to um, press new editions, and it sold over 5,000 copies already. The record company even um, asked us, because I think the only available CDs right now from Fires in the North is the ones we have in the tour bus. <laughs> so they, they needed some for, the, for, the, for some promotional purposes. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I already, we already wrote new stuff, and um, I think you can already expect a new album, although it's a massive recording always, I mean, a ton of recordings, like orchestra and choirs and a lot of um, folk instruments, you can expect in 2017 a new Levi's album. And, wow. Um, yeah, it, it has never been um, a question for us to stop because it has never been a Liv Christine solo band. It has always been a band. And I think you can see this right now. I mean, we we continue playing, we continue writing songs. And even a lot of friends of us that have seen us since a long time, also in this tour in North America, they say they've never seen us in a better shape. But that's not up to me to discuss this. I'm just like... Um, saying we enjoy making the music and we're also very confident for the for the future. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's definitely bringing a whole new vibe to the band. And you're right, a lot of people are saying, you know, why don't you break up the band? Why don't you change the name? Yeah. It's not that simple or that easy because, like you said, it's not somebody's solo band. It's a band consisting of yeah. multiple members. And, you know, yeah, it's not that exactly. easy to start up again from scratch. I mean, it's very hard, you know, building up a band name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, if it would have been a solo band, there has always been a solo project from Liz Christine, which was called Liz Christine. <laughs> so yeah. that has never been a matter. And uh, we do everything also in Liz's vocals. You can hear a lot of ideas from other members of the band. Yeah? So uh, yeah. we worked on everything together and um, it has been a band and it will be a band in the future as well. Yeah. 
Well, uh, Alina's a very strong vocalist. Now with her in the band, I mean, do you write to her stylings? Do you write to the way she sings now? Or do you continue going the way you were? Um, like I said, I think, um, I mean, Liv and Alina are both great singers. And Liv's strength might be a lot of the romantic, more melancholic stuff. And I think what happens in the band, and it's also influence of me as a, a person that likes heavy metal music that is guitarist uh, and has grown up with all the um, great bands in the 70s and 80s. It happened that we went into a more powerful and more uh, bombastic direction. I'd say that happened since the off. If you uh, take a look at the records like Love Lauren was a very romantic album. Inland Saga changed a bit but since Njord I think we went into one direction and kept that going which is going into a kind of um, bombastic, uh, heavy, and also folky um, style. I think that's maybe which. And uh, for all these things, um, no matter if it's a song like Swords and Rock, or if it's a ballad, or if it's powerful stuff, Elena's voice fits really very well. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to work on the new stuff with her voice. And I think especially the what is maybe her plus that she adds now to the band is, is really the, the powerful section which comes across. Yeah. Nice. yeah. You know, yeah. On, on your records, there's always a lot going on. There's such big albums with yeah. a lot happening. Yeah. And the fact that you're yeah. able to put them out sometimes, you know, within two years of each other, it seems like there's so yeah. much work to get that out. I mean, is there a lot of work going on behind the scenes, writing, composing, and arranging these albums? It is incredible. It is sometimes incredible, and at the same time, we're talking sometimes um, like really hours about just one bass drum setting. So you have to pay also um, um, you have to pay attention to all the details if you work on so many different tracks. And uh, the last album I think was maybe the most elaborate with it because we had, for example, the London Voices, the choirs which sang the, the Star Wars soundtrack, and also Lord of the Rings that sang uh, on the album. Um, then we recorded the um, orchestra in Belarus with uh, Victor Smolsky together. And we had uh, different percussion recordings all over, everywhere. We had harp recordings, uh, native instruments, mainly in our studio, but it's really uh, <laughs> a lot of work, I have to say, to, to get everything together. Yeah. And um, yeah, but that makes it on the other hand really like when it's done, it's such a great feeling. And uh, when everything is um, played and recorded by human beings, it's it's uh, so inspirational. And um, especially in King of Kings, I like the sound, which is very earthy. And I know behind every sound, I know the people that played on it. And uh, yeah, but it's a huge undertaking. I think King of Kings was recorded in seven different countries. Wow. <laughs> and, Regarding even that we have our own record studio where we work, you see how, how many different uh, inputs also are on this album from many different people. I mean, are these albums or these songs written and planned out that way from the very beginning where you have it in your head, all these multiple layers of musicians and music and sounds that you want to put on it? Or do you kind of like, you know, have a basic idea of where the song is and then add as you go along spontaneously? Or is it yeah. really pre-programmed? 
I think when when it's um, that complex, you need at least a certain amount of idea where you want to go. So there, there is an idea at the beginning, but um, it can turn also during the recordings um, because you start from the scratch usually with a recording program and you have your ideas where the song might go, but there's still a space where it can turn into. So it's it's like a process where a song is growing and uh, it's also turning. <laughs> but if you yeah. don't have a basic idea and a vision where you want to go to, I guess you're completely lost. So we, we have that always from the beginning where where we want to go basically. Yeah. You know, you would think because some of these songs are so complex and so involved that you wouldn't be able to recreate it and give it that, that same vibe when you play live, but you guys managed to do it. You guys managed to make it work and that's got to be difficult. Yeah. It is difficult, and we also um, uh, have, for example, for the show that we had now in October, we had um, the, the guy who played the amazing percussions. He was playing live with them. We sometimes have fiddle players, and also the Ilian um, pipe player and whistle player. So, but it's not always possible for now. Uh, we are in the US, and we cannot bring a choir from London yeah. or full orchestra. It's just not possible. So. Uh, but the main focus is still, that's also maybe a, a thing on a King of Kings. Uh, it's very complex, but you still hear a rock band playing as well. It's not like the rock band is not visible anymore. That's also one aspect that I like very much about King of Kings. Yeah. I, I mean, you've been in the business a long time. This band's been going a long yeah. time. Is it getting harder and harder to like separate the music part from the business part, or are they all the same? Um, actually, in, in daily life, it happens uh, all the same. So, so uh, you, you cannot say you, you're just a musician and you're just writing music. You also have to be kind of manage your, your own band. And you can have managers and people around, but I still think the best is to have an idea also business-wise where you want to go, where you want to play, when you want to tour, when you want to do this, and uh, how is your, what is your idea where to take the band? And um, we, are, we are still ambitious and we're still feeling the best is still to come. So um, in a way, it's often that in one day, all the several aspects are coming together. Like let's say I'm, I'm making music two or three hours a day and then there are several other things that have to be taken care of and that we take care of. So I think it's about the, the full package and it, it doesn't have to be always separated. Well, let's say when we're in a really hot period of recording an album, then the music comes definitely only first and it's just there. But for the rest, of course, uh, we, we always have in mind where we want to tour, where we want to go business-wise. Um, what the ideas are with the label together. So yeah, it's like you said, it's a it's a full full package things that yeah. we have to take care of as a musician. Is winning over new fans and getting I mean obviously getting new fans and new people listening to music is very important because that's a base that you want to grow, mm -hmm. especially on a financial yeah. level because you want them to buy the music, the merchandise to keep it going. I mean, yeah. is there any other way of winning over new fans today? I mean, outside of social media, is it trying to get them into the shows to see you live for the first time or hearing a song maybe on iTunes before they buy a record? Um, you mean if there are any other ways besides these uh, things like magazines and social media? Yes. 
yeah. Um, what is now nice with uh, King of Kings, for example, um, Alex has turned really into a, a fighter. He trained a lot for the, the video clips and also for the live performance. And uh, we have um, reenactment groups also on stage. And it's nice to see that something new for us and maybe also new for them um, to see that um, the uh, idea of these reenactment groups and uh, that it's a worldwide phenomenon and we need all these groups now so in uh, when your question is like if there's anything besides social media and magazines that is happening this is maybe one thing which is really great to see that um, the international scene of these groups they are watching and realizing what we are doing and Alex even has become an honorable member of the Sport Vikings so that's uh, quite a totally new approach or it's a, a new way which is something uh, very fresh for us to yeah I'm not going to keep you I appreciate you talking with me today I saw you guys about a week ago in Sayreville, New Jersey blew me away, oh, okay. it was an amazing show and you know what, you're only halfway like out it. in the tour and a lot of people yeah. are going to be catching you guys live and I can't wait for you to come back around again into the US it's always a pleasure seeing and you guys perform I can already say we have good news. We will also come back 2017. <laughs> great. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. It's always a great show. And the best of luck with the band. And have a great time Thank out there on the tour bus. Take care. Thanks a lot. And thanks Thank for you. the uh, possibility for the interview. Thank you. you. My pleasure. Take care, Zazel. Bye.
All right, that's a song that features the brand-new singer, Faris in the North. What a great show we had tonight. I want to thank Tasso and Mike for calling in. I do appreciate it. It's the last show of November 2016. We head into December. Next week, we got three shows, then we're off for the Christmas weekend, and we come back in January. I haven't really booked anything out that far in advance yet, so we're just going to concentrate on uh, the month coming up. And next week, let's see who our guests are. It's like a magical mystery pot of guests. Let me open up the book here. Ah, it's Mr. Eddie Malm from uh, Heavy Load. He's our guest next week, as well as Jeff McCormick from Q5. So we got a great show for everybody next week. Don't forget to tune in. Starting at 6 p.m. EST. You know, you can always listen to the replays. Yes, I will do my best to get Tanzer on here. I would like to get her live in the studio and do a video uh, show with her here. Maybe she can sample her bathing suits as we talk about the music. All right, let's see. We got uh, 10 minutes left in the show. Enough time for one or two more songs, and then we'll kind of wrap it up here today. Uh, Let's do some Mean Streak with Lost Stranger. being on the show tonight, Ty Keto, Levi's Eyes, check these guys out when they come to the area and play, Levi's Eyes are still on tour here, I believe they have a couple more weeks to go, and Ty Keto, 
They're over in the UK in January, so check them out if they're in your area. Uh, next week, Eddie Mound from Heavy Load and Jeff McCormick from Q5. Don't forget to tune in for that. All right, the boys in Sparta, the new wave of British heavy metal band, sent me out their new record a few weeks ago called No Retreat, No Surrender. I don't know why I just haven't gotten around to playing it, but we're going to get on a song off of it tonight, and then we're going to wrap things up here. So everybody have a great week. If you're here in New York, it's going to be pretty nice this week. We're going to be in the 60s, so enjoy because it's going to get freaking cold real soon, and the snow is going to be coming down big this year right here. So uh, let's enjoy the semi-warm weather while we have it. All right, off the brand-new Sparta record, No Retreat, No Surrender, here's Dark of Your Mind. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday. Oh,
When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Cold weather is here, so stay warm with the most thoughtful sale of the year. Now through Monday, you can get $50 off the Nest Learning thermostat. It learns your schedule and the temperature you like, so it keeps you comfortable when you're home and turns itself down when you're gone, which means it can help you save energy all year long. Get it at Best Buy now and save on the Nest Learning thermostat while you still can. Now less is more cozy. Limit two.